we've seen in terms of enrollment on these programs is completely different profiles of students than we're engaging with our traditional program. So we see more students from STEM disciplines. We see more first-gen students. We see more minority students. We see more male students, which is you know, an underrepresented population uh, in our field as well. So it's a, com- it's a completely different population. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of World Strides inaugural podcast, Changing Lives Through Education Abroad a weekly series of conversations with international education's most interesting thought leaders, as well as discussions on emerging trends, best practices, and innovation within our field. I'm your host, Zach McKenness, Senior Director of Campus Partnerships with World Strides, and I'm very much looking forward to today's episode. Today, we'll be talking about innovation and global learning. I'm pleased to be joined by Noah Rost, Director of Global Education at Arizona State University. Noah provides comprehensive leadership for the global education team at Arizona State University by directing an innovative strategy for study abroad aligned with ASU's emphasis on high-quality academics, innovation, access, and career readiness across all disciplines on all campuses. Prior to joining ASU, Noah served as the Associate Director of the Center for Global Engagement and a director of the Programs Abroad Office at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. For the seventh year in a row, Arizona State University has been named number one amongst the nation's most innovative universities by U.S. News and World Report. ASU has earned the top spot every year, ranking ahead of schools like MIT and Stanford since the inception of this category in 2016. I can't imagine a better person to talk innovation with than Noah. I'm really looking forward to the conversation today. You do not want to miss this episode. Noah, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Zach, for having me. Could you start by describing your current role at Arizona State University to us? Sure. I am, as you just said in your introduction, the director of the Global Education Office. Our office manages uh, traditional student mobility programs Uh, In an international context, we also work on domestic study away programming. And in the last three years, we also manage uh, a robust portfolio of online global learning programs as well. Fabulous. It sounds like you just have just a couple of things going on in your department. Noah, I'd love for you to share a bit about the ASU Global Education Office's mission and tell us a bit about what drives it. Everything at ASU is driven by our institutional charter. So ASU's charter, it's an elegant document. It's the New American University Charter. It really has uh, three things at its core. One is we measure ourselves by who we include and how they succeed and not by who we exclude. So ASU takes access and inclusion very seriously. We don't just talk the talk, we walk the walk. We have a very complicated and very large student population. We are also committed to uh, providing research that is for the public good. And we also believe in providing support and services to the communities that we serve. 
So these are kind of like the three cores to ASU's mission. So the work of the Global Education Office really needs to reflect that, and particularly on the access and inclusion side of things. So we have to make sure that we are offering a portfolio of programs that is accessible, and we can talk about what that means perhaps later on, that can serve a very complicated and large student population. It really seems to me from an outsider's perspective that this new American university charter has been infused in really everything the university is doing. So it's very impressive to see. And so with that, Noah, how has that led you to create innovative programs and and implement different modalities for global learning with that mission in mind? So one of the challenges we face in the global education office here at ASU is, is the field of global education, study abroad, international education, whatever you want to call it, whatever terminology you want to use, has historically been a very elitist enterprise and very boutique That shouldn't be surprising. It emerges out of the grand tour, which was for rich folk who want to travel around Europe. I mean, that was the original study abroad. So how does the Global Education Office then get beyond that and make sure that the programs that we're offering are not boutique and are not overly elitist? And so that's where the different programming models come in. So uh, we have a few that are specifically designed to address that, that need of access and inclusion. So the first in sort of the traditional mobility space uh, are our global intensive experiences. So the global intensive experiences are very short programs, a week to 10 days that are attached to semester coursework. So students are, are having an academic experience on campus or online, and then they will travel for a portion of that on a program. So these run during uh, academic breaks, during spring break, things like this. So we'll offer anywhere between 55 to 60 of these, I suppose, a year. We've also stood up uh, a number of online global learning programs. So ASU has 173,000 degree-seeking students. And almost 90,000 of those are in fully online degree-seeking programs. Now, Some of those students do study abroad on traditional programs, but not at the same clip as immersion students do. So uh, we, we realized that we needed to stand up programming for, not exclusively, but programming that would serve the needs of the online students. And then if there are some immersion students that are unable to participate in traditional programming because of cost, work, whatever it might be, then there's an opportunity for them as well. I mean, prior to doing this, our office was essentially only serving half of ASU's population. Another one is our global tech program, which we partner with Podium Education on, a tech startup in Austin, Texas. Uh, That has been enormously successful We have enrolled, well, after this summer, it'll be uh, over 3,000 students in that program. 
since we launched in summer 21. And then the final one is the Global Flex program. So the Global Flex program uh, is, a, is a hybrid program. So it allows ASU students to combine in-person study and or an internship with ASU delivered coursework online, or they can participate in a traditional study abroad program and be completely academically online through ASU. And so we really designed Global Flex to uh, address one of the two fundamental barriers to participation in global education programs. So the two major barriers are cost and curriculum. So the idea behind Global Flex is that we solve for curriculum because now students are only limited by what is available as an online course at ASU. You know, I think it's a real game changer in terms of studying abroad at ASU Global Flex. So I think it's, it's quite impressive. You know, as, as you know, Noah, we at ISA and Tina have actually made that available to our students as well through our partnership with you. And so I want to return to our, our conversation about access. How have the programs that you have described ensured access for ASU students? What we've seen in terms of enrollment on these programs is completely different profiles of students than we're engaging with our traditional programming. So we see more students from STEM disciplines. We see more first-gen students. We see more uh, minority students. Uh, we see more male students, which is you know, an underrepresented population uh, in our field as well. So it's a, com- it's a completely different population. So, I mean, as you know, Noah, um, ASU is often at the forefront of, of innovation in higher education. And that certainly includes a global learning space. In your view, what have been the biggest changes to our field over the past few years? So prior to the pandemic, we had toyed with the ideas of online global learning and as an example, but no one really jumped in. Well, necessity sometimes is the mother of invention, right? And so, you know, we were really forced to, to, to jump into the deep side of the pool and create new programs to, A, survive the pandemic, right, just on a very fundamental level, B, make sure we could provide global education opportunities when travel was not possible, and then C, as we emerge out of the pandemic, make sure that we are actually providing programs that address the needs of diverse student populations in the 21st century. And we don't just talk about it because I have to say, I mean, I love our field a lot and I care about it a lot, but there's a lot of yakety yakking too. So (laughs) it's it's time to start doing and stop talking and let's do something. Absolutely. In that same vein, Noah, how do you see our field evolving over the next decade? What's next for us as a field? So you can't put technology back in the bottle. It's a great disruptor. I anticipate that after what I think we're seeing now is is some retrenchment of uh, people wanting to do things the way they did it in 2018, 2019. I think people are just tired and you know stressed out and, and burned out because of the pandemic. So I think there's not 
this, this sense of, well, let's just go back to the way things were. Um, so I think after we get through that period, this period that we're in right now, people will be more open and more eager. And there's some already who, who are, so I don't want to say this isn't happening, uh, to, to embrace uh, different learning modalities and embrace what technology uh, can really bring to the table in terms of developing programs in different modalities, ensuring access and inclusion. You know, one of the really interesting things we have at ASU, walk out of my office and in seven minutes, I can be at Dreamscape Learn. So Dreamscape Learn is ASU's virtual reality learning platform. We are already running Dreamscape Learn for students in biology labs. So this is utilizing virtual reality to enhance student learning. And there are several different virtual reality modules that, that you can sample if you visit ASU, including some of the lab sections for the biology lab. It's fascinating to do this. It's a really interesting experience. And so uh, the last time I did Dreamscape Learn, I was thinking, wow, so what could this hold for the future of global education, language learning, learning about different cultures and societies uh, moving forward. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Noah. So ASU is truly a global powerhouse. I hope you don't mind me saying. But what is something about the scope of the work that you are able to do as a team that leaves you especially inspired? So what's inspiring to me is just thinking about the incredibly complex student body that we serve. Connecting back to Flex, for example, we have a student who is an ASU online student who is in Central Asia, fully online. And this student will be participating in an in-person Flex experience in the fall in one of our European destinations. That's wild to think about. So I think the first thing that inspires me is just how complex and diverse the ASU student population is and really being proud uh, and, and inspired to make sure that all of these students have the ability to participate in a global education program, no matter where they are in life, no matter where they are physically, that's humbling to me. I love that. What is a common misconception that folks have about working in a globally oriented office at a large public university like ASU? Probably one of the misconceptions is that maybe some of the personal interaction is lost at a large institution, be it between advisor and student or advisor to colleague in another office that is key to our operations. So I think maybe the um, perceived impersonal nature, right, and lack of human contact or meaningful human contact, that is totally a misconception. <laughs> if anything, when you, when you work at a big institution, it's almost just the opposite, right? So, I mean, you, you need to build strong 
relationships with individuals across different units uh, because it is such a large institution. And that's really part of how successful you will be and how successful the office will be. And we, we advise a lot of students multiple times. So it's not the case that that is, is wanting in our office. Uh, we just do, we just have to do a lot of it. So I think maybe that's one of the misconceptions, right? That it's somehow less personal, right? It's less intimate. Um, and that's, that's just simply not true. You know, you lead a large team at ASU. How do you go about empowering your colleagues and your team to be both efficient and creative? Nothing would work in this office if we weren't efficient. <laughs> so uh, efficiency, and, and I would say you don't, you don't ever reach um, sort of a stasis point in efficiency, right? Things can always be more efficient. So we are constantly, uh, you know, doing... Um, analysis of processes and operations to make sure we are um, not wasting time because there is no time to waste, you know, making sure that we are building out systems that we can easily scale up, which again, given the size of the institution and given the ambitious enrollment goals, that the institution has and that the global education office has, if we, if we cannot build scalable solutions, we won't be able to achieve any of those goals. So, so efficiency is something we're, we're constantly striving, striving for. And, and we improve, we improve every cycle, honestly, some, some new operational process is implemented. It seems like every semester. Uh, so that's, so that's wonderful in terms of creativity. Organizations can only succeed if everyone is bringing ideas to the table. So we have a very flat office. Nobody has a monopoly on good ideas. That's a very unhealthy environment. So we encourage people to come forward with creative programming ideas, creative outreach ideas, gaps in our portfolio that they see. So you know, whatever, whatever it might be. And so that's really just instilling a culture in, in the organization, right. To make sure that everyone realizes that this is, this is something we all need to be part of. You know, as you know, Noah, every sector has its own unique and special attributes and international education is no different, but what skills and lessons can we take from the private sector or from private business and apply them to our work in higher ed. So I was just actually talking to someone about this not that long ago. We, we have a colleague uh, who worked at, at another at another institution for many years, a uh, large, large public institution. And this was quite probably about 10 years or so ago now. It was, it was a while ago. And I can remember sitting in, in a room with him and a few, a few other global education directors and, and, uh, you know, you get a bunch of global education directors together and, and people will start to commiserate and, you know, maybe, maybe whine a little bit. Right. And so this, so this conversation was really about how, oh, you know, no one at our institutions understand the complexity of our operation or, or what it is we really do. And, you know, global education offices are really, 
really complicated entities at a university. I mean, it's, it's, it's really wild to think about how many different uh, alleyways of the university that, that our offices touch and, and that we have to engage with. And this, this gentleman leaned back in his chair and he was a very sage guy. And he, and he says, that's because people at your university don't realize that you are not an advising office. You are a small business with an advising side hustle. And I stepped back and I thought about that. <laughs> and I said, you know, he's right. He's right. So everyone thinks, oh, just go to the study abroad advising office. And that's not what we do. It's very complex operations. So I think to answer your question, so I think to answer your question, I think we, we should not be afraid or hesitant to embrace the fact that for most of us, I mean, not all of us, some are centrally funded, but we are operating small businesses. And if we embrace that and we approach our work with that at the forefront of our mind every day, then I think we can start to do things that benefit students, faculty, we're able to scale, serve larger populations. So we shouldn't hesitate to embrace the business side of things. It's fine. We all work in a business industry. It's fine. We can all say it together. It's okay. I mean, you make a really good point, right? You know, advising being really just scratching the surface of what a, of what a global education office does. And there's so much more to it. Um, program management, marketing, budgets. Like I can, you know, we could come with a whole list here, right? So that's, that, I love the way that you articulated that. I have one final question for you, sir, before we begin to wrap up here. As you think about education abroad in 2023 and where we're heading, what makes you hopeful? I am hopeful that we will continue to embrace the opportunities that the pandemic has put before us to develop programs that are offered in different modalities, be that hybrid, be that online, so that we can serve a much larger population than we are currently serving. Because we really have to start doing that. I mean, we can't just, we cannot just go back to the way things were. Our industry cannot afford to do that. It's no longer 2018. It's no longer 2019. We're in a different era. And so I am, I am hopeful that we will continue to move forward in a positive direction. And it won't be pr a perfect line upward. We'll have little ups and downs. But I'm, I'm hopeful we will, we will continue on, on an upward track in the embracing of, of, new, of new modalities. I am also hopeful that we are going to see a much needed influx of new people with new ideas coming into the field. Because, you know, one of the things um, earlier in the conversation, you know, you asked, well, how, how has the industry changed over the last few years? And one of the things I left out, which was a crucial thing, is we've had a massive brain drain. I mean, our brain drain in our industry is, has been terrifying. 
a lot of people left, really smart people, and they're not coming back. <laughs> right? They're gone. And I think a lot of those people were, were mid-level folks. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful that, that as we, you know, continue to, to rebuild after the pandemic and rebuild perhaps wiser and smarter, that we're able to attract, you know, new generations of people with, with fresh ideas that will, you know, help us to embrace, um, some of these new technologies and, and new learning modalities as we move forward. Well, I can't imagine a better place to end it than right there. Noah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Zach, for having me. I'm really, really honored to be included in this. I appreciate it. I've, I've, I've listened to your other, to these other podcasts, by the way, and, and um, you know, I, I always enjoy them. They're always very good, and I always, I always take away something from everyone. So you're doing, you're doing good stuff here. Thank you very much for saying that. I really appreciate it. And to all of our listeners, thank you very much for joining us for this episode of Changing Lives Through Education Abroad. I'm your host, Seth McInnes. And please make sure to join us next week as we continue to explore topics around international education and exchange. Please subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues. Let's create life-changing moments together. Thank you.